Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. This is your host, Jared Dawkins here. I want to talk about something that has stood out to me and something that I'm realizing a lot of over the last three to four, five years. And I'm starting to realize it now more than ever. And that is the simple fact that general managers, younger general managers, younger, younger general managers, excuse me, like an Eric DaCosta, Brett Veach, Howie Roseman, Chris Ballard, all of these general managers are taking advantage of quarterbacks on their rookie contracts. And what I mean by that is I don't mean that in a negative way. What I mean when I say GMs are taking advantage of quarterbacks on their rookie contracts, what I mean by that is general managers are, excuse me, general managers are spending more and more and more money on on big time free agents, maybe two or three free agents, and then adding to that in the draft more now than ever before. But you're starting to see guys like Patrick Mahomes, guys like Lamar Jackson, guys like guys like Tua, guys like Russell Wilson to a degree. You're starting to see more and more and more and more Colin Kaepernick. You're starting to see more and more and more now over the last three and four years. You're starting to see general managers spend more big money in free agency on a wide receiver or that cornerback or that tight end or that or or that running back or that or that number one slot receiver. You're starting to see general managers take advantage of that more now than ever before. I found an article. I found an article from Sports Illustrated, and it's called Do Massive Quarterback Contracts Limit Teams in the Long Run? And obviously, it says from Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson to Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins, do massive contracts given out to quarterbacks ultimately hurt their teams in the long run? And this is what this is what I found. Hold on, give me one quick second. I found this excerpt in this article. I found this short, short little piece in this article. It says, quote, the one thing that does remain constant is that there seems to be a maximum amount of salary cap space a quarterback can take up in the last nine years. And that's 15%, meaning that quarterbacks who have big contracts take up about 15% of a team's salary cap space. And they give an example here, continuing, quote, only Aaron Rodgers in 2019 passed 15 percent, and that was just barely. How many times do quarterback contracts pass the 15 percent threshold exactly? Here are the 13 quarterbacks over the last seven years that have either passed the 15 percent threshold or or who are right at it. 2013, Eli Manning, 17% salary, 17% salary cap hit. 
2014, Eli Manning, 15.3% salary cap hit. Drew Brees, 2015, 16.6 salary cap hit. Eli Manning again, 2016, 15.6 salary cap hit. Ben Roethlisberger, 2016, 15.4 salary cap hit. Matt Ryan, 2016, 15.3 salary cap hit. Which, by the way, Atlanta went to the Super Bowl that year. 2018, Jimmy Garoppolo, 20.9 salary cap hit. Oh, 20.9% salary cap hit. Matt Stafford, 2018, 15% salary cap hit. Matthew Stafford again in 2019, 16.3% salary cap hit. 2019, Aaron Rodgers, 15.6% salary cap hit. Kirk Cousins, two years ago, 15.4% salary cap hit. Dak Prescott, last year, 15.8% salary cap hit. And Russell Wilson, two, uh, and Russell Wilson last year with 15.6% salary cap hit. So pretty much what I'm saying by throwing all those numbers out to you guys is if you have a big if you have a big time if you have a huge percentage of your of your team's salary cap sucked up your team is not going to be able to spend big money in free agency i just i just gave you guys 13 names right there drew brees 2015 the saints were bad for a certain period of time because of the fact that they gave Drew Brees a big-ass contract. Same thing with Joe Flacco. The Baltimore Ravens could not really spend big money in free agency for two and three years because of the simple fact that Joe Flacco got that $120.6 million contract. And these teams know that once they give these quarterbacks these big contracts, they know that eventually they're going to have to restructure them. Why do people think that Patrick Mahomes is going to eventually start to come up for a restructuring of his contract? Because these teams know that down the line, in order for us to spend money in free agency the way we want to, we're going to have to restructure these contracts, which is why teams like the Chiefs, were able to give Chris Jones five years, $80 million, and eventually be able to sometime down the line extend Tyran Matthew. Same thing with Lamar Jackson right now. You know, spending money on a Mark Ingram, an Earl Thomas, even though the Earl Thomas thing was a whiff. Going out and being able to trade for Marcus Peters and give him an extension. Going out to get in, going out to get a Calais Campbell, trade for him and eventually give him an extension. Same thing with Derek Wolf. Going out to going out to get a Sammy Watkins. And then also and then also with the Kansas City Chiefs. Trading for Orlando Brown Jr. Signing Joe signing Joe Tooney, one of the best left guards in all of pro football. To to a five to a five year eighty million dollar contract. These GMs are starting to take advantage of uh, of a quarterback's rookie contract more and more and more and more now than ever before, which is absolutely the smart thing to do because these GMs know that once you pay this quarterback big money, you better get him some weapons first and then pay him later which is exactly what the Dallas Cowboys did. The Dallas Cowboys drafted CeeDee Lamb, traded for Amari Cooper, signed Zeke to a contract extension, 
and then they eventually paid Dak Prescott. They wanted to they wanted to make sure Dak's weapons were 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 in place first, and then give him the extension later, which is the same thing that the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes, and is and which is the same thing that the Ravens are doing with Lamar Jackson. And there's also one more thing in this article that I wanted to bring up as far as as far as this article goes. Speaking of Patrick Mahomes, and I and this is from this article, and I quote, in 2023, Mahomes' salary cap hit is going to be $42.5 million. So the Chiefs know that down the line, Patrick Mahomes' salary cap hit is going to be ridiculous, which is why he's up for restructuring, if I'm not mistaken, either this year or he's going to possibly restructure next year. And the article continues to say, if we apply the general rule of championship quarterbacks not taking not taking up more than 15% of the team's cap space, uh, cap space, then the salary cap in 2023 would have to be at least $283 million for the Chiefs to have minimal issues. COVID is putting this in danger, but there are signs that the salary cap might rise sharply soon with more games, a higher revenue share in the new CBA and and giants such as Amazon and Disney bidding on NFL games in a new TV deal. So pretty much that pretty much adds on to what I was saying. Teams like the Chiefs. Teams like Baltimore, teams like the Cowboys. They're going to give their star quarterbacks weapons first, take advantage of the rookie contracts, go out and get a big-time wide receiver or a big-time tight end or maybe both, build up that offensive line because they're not paying their quarterbacks anything right now. They're not paying them anything. They're not paying them nothing. Okay, so they figure, so these GMs figure, okay, we're not paying these quarterbacks anything right now. Let's take advantage of that. These court, these rookie quarterbacks out here making $3.5 million and $4.5 million and $6.2 million every year for the first five years of their contract. And these GMs are going to take advantage of that down the They're going to take advantage of that up until they know around year four, Year five, which is year five, which is their option year that they know, okay, year four, year five, it's time to have that big time extension talk with our franchise quarterback. And these GMs are and these GMs are taking advantage of it. And that's smart. That's very, very smart on these general managers part. Very, very smart. Because these general managers know that for that five year period, depending on how good how good that quarterback is on his rookie contract. These GMs know that this four or five year period, while my quarterback is on his rookie contract, that's our championship window. That is our championship window. And after that, depending on the kind of contract that we give him, if it's team friendly, eventually we know we're going to have to restructure that contract. But we know down the line, if it's team-friendly enough to where we can continue to add more weapons via free agency two or three for two or three years at a time down the line, then we're going to continue to contend for championships. But these GMs know what they're doing. These GMs ain't stupid, man. These GMs know exactly what the hell they're doing. 
And I applaud all of these GMs for taking advantage of these quarterbacks, rookie contracts, and knowing that these quarterbacks, rookie, uh, these quarterbacks, rookie contracts are the window to win a championship. These GMs know what they're doing and they're smart and they're smart for doing it. But next up, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to talk to you guys. I'm going to tell you guys why the, the Los Angeles Clippers and the Brooklyn Nets, if these teams don't make deep playoff runs or i.e. win the championships, that these two teams are going to have to move on from two specific superstars moving forward. And also I'm going to tell you guys why the Green Bay Packers have absolutely no leverage in this situation with Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers reportedly wanting out moving forward. That's coming up, y'all. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I want to talk some NBA very, very quickly. I want to talk about the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Clippers. First off, I want to talk about the Clippers. As we all know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George teamed up last year to 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 join forces with the Clippers. The Clippers created a culture before Kawhi Leonard and Paul George got there. They, As we all know, a couple of years ago, they took the Golden State Warriors with then Stephen Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Kevin Durant. They took them to six games in the first round of the 2019-2020 NBA playoffs. And that created a culture. That started a culture, which eventually led Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to look at that and, and, and say to themselves, you know what, if we go there, we, get to, we, we have a chance to win a championship with Doc Rivers. So Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George end up joining forces and, team, and teaming up together with the Clippers. Then, as we all know, that fell apart very, very quickly. The Clippers obviously made it past the first round, beat the Dallas Mavericks, but then blew a 3-1 lead to Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, Paul Millsap, and the Denver Nuggets. And now it's gotten to the point where this is their second year together. In my opinion, and this is just me, you've already fired the head coach. You've moved on from Montrez Harrell. You've moved on from Lou Williams, okay? You've brought in guys like Nicholas Batum. You've brought in guys like Serge Ibaka. You've brought in guys like Rajon Rondo. You've hired Tyron Lou. Now it's gotten to the point that if the Clippers don't make it to the conference finals, then you got to move on from Paul George. You have to. you got to move on from Paul George. And I say you got to move on from Paul George because you can't bring back the same duo for a third time next year and expect things to be different. You can't. Because if you bring the same duo back next year and you still don't get to the conference finals or, 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 or at least win the championship, then, that, then, 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 then at that point, you might, you, I mean, literally, you might just have to move on from both of them. So, again, if the Clippers don't make it to the conference finals, you got to move on from Paul George. You have to. The Clippers ain't going to move on from Kawhi. You got, but you got to move on from Paul George. You can't, you will not, you, you won't be, because like I said before, you fired the head coach. You've gotten rid of certain, certain players on the team. Now it's strictly up to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. So that's my thought with the Clippers. Same thing with the Brooklyn Nets. If the Brooklyn Nets don't get to the NBA Finals this year, if they don't get to the Finals, then you're going to have to move on from Kyrie Irving. 
here's why I say you got to move on from Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving has a history of moving from place to place to place. Oh, excuse me, moving on, moving from place to place to place. He he was tired of being LeBron's shadow. He was tired of being in LeBron's shadow in Cleveland. And then he wore out his welcome in Boston with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier. So Kyrie Irving has a history of wearing out his welcome. Kyrie Irving has missed some games. Missed he, he um he's missed some games either due to injury due to social uh, social injustice or just not wanting to play period where and, and and it's gotten so bad with Kyrie that it's gotten to the point where where some people are even questioning whether or not he should just retire or not so with with so bottom line with 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 Brooklyn is because Brooklyn's not going to move on from KD from KD and James Harden they're more they more than likely if you had to choose out of the three which one they're going to move on from they're probably they would probably move on from Kyrie and they would and it would make sense for them to move on from Kyrie because Kyrie has a history of moving from place to place to place Kevin Durant does too from Oklahoma City to the Warriors, to now the Brooklyn Nets, but Kyrie has a history of being more of an issue than KD and James Harden. So bottom line is this, if the Clippers and the Nets don't at least make it to the conference finals or get to the NBA finals, Paul George and Kyrie, they could very well be on their way out after this season. I could totally be wrong, but that's just my opinion. Next up, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk about Urban Meyer very quickly. In my in my humble opinion, as we all know, Urban Meyer has success in college, has success at Utah, has success at Florida, has success at Ohio State, won multiple national titles at Florida, won national championship at Ohio State, took Utah to the Fiesta Bowl. Wasn't was a was a college football analyst at Fox for a little bit until he eventually took the head coaching job for the Jacksonville Jaguars. First time ever head coach. But here's the problem with with the way Urban Meyer has started out here in Jacksonville. Here's the issue. You go and you hire a strength and conditioning coach from the University of Iowa who was accused of verbally and I think even physically abusing players and then had some racism accusations had some racism accusations pinned against him to the point where when Urban hired him he hired him he let it linger for like a day and then when he and then when I'm pretty sure people within the organization got in his ear about it he realized he made a mistake and he moved on from him that's blunder number 1 blunder number 2 Tim Tebow the Jacksonville Jaguars signed Tim Tebow, a guy in Tim Tebow who has not played in nine years, but now all of a sudden is switching positions to play tight end. This is an issue, and here's why. Tim Tebow has not played in nine years. Tim Tebow is coming in after a nine-year absence, being in the booth, analyzing, being a football analyst. He's coming, he, he, he's, he's, he's coming back to play a game that he's loved that he hasn't played in nine years, and he's going to take a roster spot from a defensive tackle, from a from a from a defensive end, or from a slot corner, or from an offensive lineman that could offensive lineman that could help 
benefit Trevor Lawrence and protecting Trevor Lawrence and protecting and keeping Trevor Lawrence healthy. You're going to ruin that, and you're possibly going to have some players in the locker room questioning your decision-making and your, and your judgment and timing by bringing in a guy in Tim Tebow who, by the way, has not, like I said before, hasn't played in nine years. And in my opinion, this is a publicity stunt by Urban Meyer. In what world does anybody truly believe at this point that Tim Tebow is going to be able to help a team win a football game? Because I don't. I love Tim Tebow. I'm a Florida Gators fan. But the NFL gave up on you nine years ago. He's thir- you 33 years old right now. Tim Tebow's three years older than me. Tim Tebow, I love you, my dude. It's time to give it up, bro. It's time to give it up. The NFL, the NFL gave up on Tim Tebow nine years ago for a reason. But see, Tim Tebow went to the one guy who he felt like was going to give him a chance. And I truly believe not only is this a is this a publicity stunt by Urban Meyer, but this is Urban Meyer doing Tim Tebow a solid. That's what I truly believe this is. And at the end of the day, when you have coaches within the organization and front office people within the organization not being very fond of this move, you know you've made a mistake. And now it's just a matter of time until players realize that you made a mistake by making this move. Because you can't lie to the players. You can try to spin it however you want to spin it in the media. But players in that locker room know that eventually this is going to be looked at as a huge mistake as far as making a football decision. And it's going to be a huge blunder on Urban Meyer's part. And here's the other thing. I'm going to give this probably until the start of the preseason. Probably not even that much time. Probably until mini camp, maybe even the start of training camp, and I don't even think Tim Tebow will make it there. Will make it that far. That's just my opinion. But Urban Meyer, I believe he will have success as an NFL head coach. He just has to do better with the football decisions that he makes and and the timing as far as his judgment in which he makes them. But but lastly, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers very, very quickly. Green Bay does not have any leverage in this situation when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the reigning NFL MVP. Aaron Rodgers has a right to be pissed off at Green Bay. And here's the reason why. Or here's the reason why Green Bay has no leverage. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers won NFL MVP this past season. Green Bay has already sent out Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur to try to talk Aaron Rodgers out of out of not wanting to come back. That didn't work. Okay. And not only that, Aaron Rodgers has already made fun of GM Brian Gutekunst in a bunch of text messages, according to reports. And here's the other thing. Here's why Aaron Rodgers also has the leverage. Green Bay can talk about how much they're not going to trade him, but if Aaron Rodgers sits out the 2021 season, Green Bay won't even win more than four games. They won't. So you talked Aaron Rodgers, or, or, or I'm sorry, you, you you tried to talk Aaron Rodgers out of coming out out of not coming back. That didn't work. Okay. He's made fun of the, he. He's literally made fun of the general manager. And if he and he knows that if he sits out, your team is going to go into the hellhole. 
And not only that, Aaron Rodgers' situation has Devontae Adams questioning his future. So Green Bay, like and I've said this before, Green Bay has no leverage in this situation. Green Bay, bottom line, bottom line, excuse me, and I'm going to sum it up like this. Green Bay has won Green Bay has won the battle. But Aaron Rodgers is going to eventually win the war because Green Bay is going to eventually have to trade him. There is no way in the world Green Bay is going to stand pack with their with their decision of not wanting to trade Aaron Rodgers and then have this linger throughout and then and then have this linger throughout the season to the point where they just sit back and they don't get tired of hearing about this and they don't trade Aaron Rodgers. They're going to have to trade him at some point. Which mean which is why Green Bay has no leverage and Aaron Rodgers does. Green Bay, you're winning the battle right now, but Aaron Rodgers is going to eventually win the war. But next up, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's gonna be time for the final segment of the show. It's gonna be time for me to leave you with something to think about. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Obviously, you know what time it is. It's time for me to leave you with something to think about. Now, like I mentioned before earlier on in the show, we talked about Urban Meyer becoming a first-time head coach in the NFL coming from college. We all know Urban Meyer is one of the greatest college coaches of all time, next to Nick Saban. Which brings me to my what-if scenario. Think about this for a second. As we all know, Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. He started out at Michigan State, left Michigan State, went to LSU, won a national championship at LSU, and then he went to the NFL for a year. It did not work. Left the NFL, took over for Mike Shula in 2007, who was eventually fired after the 2006 season, which opened the door for Nick Saban to take over for Alabama. And he's won multiple, he's won six national championships since then. But what if, I bring this what if scenario to you, Ladies and gentlemen, what if Nick Saban had stayed at had, had stayed with the Miami Dolphins? Because remember, Drew Brees was going to sign with the Miami Dolphins while Nick Saban was there. But the Miami Dolphins didn't trust Drew Brees' shoulder and trust that Drew Brees' shoulder would heal. So what did the Dolphins do? They passed on um they passed on Drew Brees and signed Dante Culpepper. And, and 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 it didn't work. And Nick Saban ended up leaving Miami and he ended up moving on to Alabama. Alabama. But what if Nick Saban had stayed there? What if Nick Saban had stayed there and what if Drew Brees what if the Dolphins had actually signed Drew Brees? What if? If Nick Saban stays stays in Miami does he ever go to Alabama? If and and also think about this: if Nick Saban and Drew Brees are paired together in Miami, and Drew and Nick Saban has success in Miami, and Alabama never gets to hire Nick Saban, who does Alabama hire after they fired Mike? After they fire Mike Shula in two thousand seven. Who do they hire if Nick Saban stays in Miami? 
you we just wouldn't we never you would never ever know the answer to that. We we just will never ever know that. That 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 is some that is one of the that is one of the that is one of the very, 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 very interesting and unique what if scenarios. What if Nick Saban had stayed with the Miami Dolphins? If he stays with Miami, he and he has success with the Dolphins, he never goes to Alabama and 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 what is Al- what would Alabama's plan B have been had Nick Saban had not gone there after they fired Mike Shula? You, what, I mean, I mean that that is a really really big what if. That's a really really big what if, ladies and gentlemen. What if? You never ever know. But thank you for tuning in to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Jared Dawkins. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate you. Continue to wear your mask. Continue to stay safe. We are still in the middle of a pandemic. Don't be stupid. Be smart. Thank you for listening. I'm out. Peace.